Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. We've been on a journey lately through all different parts of the city, speaking with and getting to know the most important New Yorkers who are responsible for the success of their neighborhoods in the city. And today we're going to hear from someone that has been through the pandemic and now hopefully coming out of it as the city reopens. And we're in Midtown on 34th Street. I'm happy to have on the show today, Dan Biederman, who's president of the 34th Street Partnership and executive director of Bryant Park Corporation. Together, they cover a significant part of Midtown. Dan began his career by turning around dangerous and neglected areas of Midtown Manhattan. Yes, the, the city was in a tough spot. During the 1980s, he created the Bryant Park Corporation, 34th Street Partnership, and Grand Central Partnership, and currently serves as the president of the first two of those downtown management organizations. Bryant Park Corporation, founded in 1980 by Dan with the assistance of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, is the largest effort in the nation to apply private management entirely backed by private funding to a public park. The park reopened in 1991 and has been a huge success. Crime in the critical nine-acre area has been reduced by almost 100% since the corporation's founding. Today, Bryan Park is favorably compared with the great parks of London and Paris. The park's upgrade has generated over $2 billion in incremental real estate value just for its 33 abutting properties. The 34th Street Partnership is one of the most ambitious bids in the U.S., it receives no tax dollars, nor does it solicit funds from philanthropic donors. The public pays not one cent for the outstanding services and capital plan that the partnership delivers. So I'm happy to hear all about it, Dan. Welcome and thanks for being with us. Thanks very much, Josh. Honored to be here. So I touched a bit on the partnership, but I guess if you don't mind, give a little bit about your background and, and really the role of the 34th Street Partnership bid. I'm in this field because I said to my father when I was just out of college, uh, Dad, I don't want to work in either the public or the private sectors. And he said, well, that's going to be a problem for you then, because those are the two sectors we have. <laughs> uh, so I said, what I'm thinking is doing something in between, because I like what government is assigned to do, but I hate the way they try to do it. So Brian Park, thanks to the people who hired me, the Rockefellers, the chairman of Time Inc. at the time, and then the BIDs, Grand Central and 34th Street, were an effort to use private money and private techniques to solve public problems without falling into the trap of running government the way government had been running itself for about 70 years. And it was about the 1920s or 30s where government, I think, departed from the right way to provide value to the citizens of New York. You know, talk a little bit about exactly what your footprint is. 34th Street goes from Park Avenue to 10th Avenue, from roughly 31st Street to 35th or 36th Street. And Bryant Park is serves obviously all of Midtown. It's Midtown's uh, great town square. But the funders of the BID there are only the 33 surrounding properties. That's only a small portion of all the money we generate because most of the money is generated inside the park. So decent chunks of Midtown. And then Grand Central, we set up, and I no longer run it, but it's uh, about 50 blocks going up as far as 53rd Street and as far south as 35th Street from more or less Lex to 5th. So, you know, just a couple of questions that I have, and, you know, I would love for, you know, other people with the means and or positions to, to be able to follow success stories is, 
Number one, how do you get people with the means to become active in their communities, to start successful endeavors that, that really help the public? And, and the second is, how are you able to be so successful in that park with a lot of the activations that you have to generate you know, funds to, to operate? It's a very small group of people, Josh, who have this aspiration because most people go into more conventional careers in either the public or private sector. Sometimes the effort is led by very wealthy people who have enlightened self-interest, as one of my mentors, Peter Malkin, called it. They became leaders because they wanted to increase the value of their properties, but they spent a lot of time that they otherwise wouldn't have helping the city of New York in that way. As to Bryant Park, the scheme that we came up with initially was based on the success we'd seen elsewhere. I, I really needed models. I was only 26 years old. So I looked at Disney, Jim Rouse's projects, and Rockefeller Center, three very different projects, but all of which had public spaces that, in the case of New York, were unusual because New York had no successful public spaces at the time. Central Park was terrible. Bryant Park was terrible. Uh, Tompkins Square Park was terrible. Union Square was terrible. So we needed a model in New York, and Rock Center seemed to be that model. And then, of course, Disney was in Florida, and Rouse was in Boston and Baltimore at the time. And they just seemed to have a bit of the answer. So we went to all three companies and proposed a crazy solution to them, which was, you come run Bryant Park, we'll pay you to do so. And they didn't want to do that. So I fell back on my own ideas, which turned out to be three or four. One was what we call programming. If you go into Bryant Park today, you will see 20 or 30 things going on that you wouldn't see in what we call passive parks, where all there is are, are benches and, and the like. And, and that keeps the park safe and busy, draws a lot of people in. So programming, uh, food and beverage, uh, and the financial commitment of the surrounding property owners, again, based on financial enlightened self-interest. And all the com combination of all of those, plus what I would say is great attention to small details, which is the way good hotels run themselves and resorts. All of those are part of the Bryant Park success formula. I love those are all terrific points because there's so many parts of saying it's interesting how the, all those parks you mentioned are now some of the most vibrant parts of uh, New York City, you know, because people do love their parks. But I think it does take an effort to, to get the right mix to, to get uh, community and business flowing. I said to Mitch Silver, who's the uh, park commissioner under Mayor de Blasio, I have no idea how you keep track of the details in 1900 parks. I'm really, I run Harold Greeley and Bryant, that's three. And then the number of things that can go wrong either because of uh, bad behavior by the public or things falling apart over time, weather, erosion. We had a wall at Bryant Park that started to fall down and that cost us a million and a half we didn't have. So all those things make it very hard to run uh, multiple parks very well. That's the challenge of government. Yes. Talk a little bit about the mix of residential, retail, and commercial in your district and you know, really what you've seen through the pandemic and now coming out of it. Uh, 34th Street, when we got there, had virtually no residential. It was about 30 million square feet of office space, uh, the oddest pieces of which were uh, the commercial development was uh, Madison Square Garden, and Macy's, mega buildings that did not have office in them, but and didn't fit in that well 
with the aspirations of the commercial office owners. And then residential, there was maybe a building or two at the time. Now we're up to about 20 residential buildings as mm. the town uh, has gained more 24-hour residents. And then there's, of course, a ton of retail, which the district was known for. Beyond Macy's, there's Manhattan Mall and pretty healthy ground floor tenancies on 34th Street. They were not that way in 1991 when we started work. Uh, uh, most of the stores were really ugly looking. So it, it's not perfect mix yet. It's more like the mix you would see in an upscale mall, though, which is attractive to people in New York City and suburbs who come in to shop. So it's an interesting, all those interests are represented on my board. It's an interesting exercise to manage the various people's biggest concern and a, a few hotels also like the New Yorker. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing in terms of people now coming back to the office and what are you hearing from your partners in terms of landlords? Uh, they continue to be pretty negative, uh, the owners, because they have these turnstile counts and they're still very low. Mm -hmm. Most recently, they were in the 15 or 17 percent uh, range. And that's an outright reliable number because that's how many people swipe in at the building. I'd say probably it looks to me like it's up in the 20s now. So the big companies have been very slow to return. Uh, I find that discouraging. I was proselytizing for people coming back early. We had a physical product. So we were back in late May of 2020, mm. much to the annoyance of some of my employees. But I said, <laughs> look, the, the, the three or four people who are managing this can't do it all by ourselves. I was barely out. I was out for 35 days. That was it. We got to be here physically. We can't manage this by Zoom. People who have Financial products like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs can certainly manage by Zoom for a while. They're, they're now saying forcefully that the companies come back. So somehow, though, by being attractive, Bryant Park, for example, we, we kept it going attractively with no violence and was a place people wanted to be. It was outdoors and safe. And amazingly, in the last month, all the business that was lost by our retail, our food retailers is back. Bryant Park Grill is jammed with people. And we don't know who these people are because they're not from the adjacent office buildings. They're dressed like business people. Mm -hmm. So we're taking great encouragement from that. Pedestrian is, uh, life is busy. And Bryant Park Counts, which we do every day at one o'clock and six o'clock, are back to two thirds or three quarters of pre-COVID levels. That's great to hear. Well, I feel like a lot of people are tourists in their own city now because we're not getting the international tourists. But I think a lot of people are exploring their own city from, from all the boroughs. Yeah, very few foreign languages now. You used to be able to hear French and Italian, mm -hmm. uh, Spanish on Sixth Avenue a lot. And most of the tourists who are here seem to be from the United States. And But they're coming back. I'd say it's for June about a quarter of the normal, normal tourist load. NYC and company has been saying things like that. It's getting, yeah. we were at 66 million pre-COVID. It's probably gonna be 30 this year, something like that. Well, hopefully slowly it'll you know, start to increase. Talk a little bit about Macy's, because obviously it's a landmark, one of the sh largest shopping you know, stores in, in the country. They have big plans for the future. So perhaps you could share a little bit about what you're hearing from them, both in terms of their retail business and and their plans for development. They've been a great supporter and it's a much better store than it was when we started this district in the early 1990s. 
So they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars renovating it, and they're quite aggressive and helpful in making the sale. I, I rarely see anybody as accommodating as the Macy's salespeople. They're great. Their plans are to continue doing that and then to support the store financially, build a million square foot plus tower on top, which I think is good for a couple of reasons, three reasons. Good for Macy's, keeps it active in the district. It's on top, less than half a block from the biggest transit node in the United States. And there are very few people nearby who can say this tower is gonna block their light and air. So for all those reasons, we think it's a great plan. They have talented architects behind it. There hasn't been that much public opposition. I don't think there will be. So, uh, and the Macy's people are great to deal with. Uh, we have our most active board members, Chuck Miller, is their head of uh, external relations and government affairs, and he's he's been great. Talk a little bit about Penn Station right down the block. What What's the status of that the development or redevelopment of Penn Station? The plan, uh, which they call the general project plan, is very sophisticated. And what some people don't understand is when there's a plan to improve a transit location, it usually is the product of 15 or 20 years of thought by great transit people. It's, the whole thing is such a mess, it's very hard to plan. So they started, I think, mid-O's, about 2005, with the ideas that led to it. You can see some of them already in place. Moynihan Station, the new location for the Long Island Railroad and Amtrak trains, is really beautiful. People are enjoying it immensely. So that's in and almost entirely finished. And retail is coming in now. The Long Island Railroad and New Jersey Transit, east of 8th Avenue Station, which has been much lamented with good reason, is uh, being improved with a very sophisticated plan. There, the, the false narrative out in the world by some of the advocates on the other side has been, you can't improve that station without moving Madison Square Garden. That's totally wrong. Mm. I can think of one particular rail station in England that's not grand. There are many in London that are beautiful. This one is not, but Victoria, there are actually two where you don't have huge ceiling heights, but because of the careful way that things has been planned, people have an enjoyable experience. And the very smart people, Jano Lieber, who's at the MTA, is, is presenting this plan. It's, it's really quite good. And there will be ceiling heights that are greatly augmented and much more room circulation. Vornado is all over this plan. They own 9 million square feet right around the station. Mm -hmm. And they've cooperated by donating some of their real estate, which is very unusual in the business, to help the very good transit planners come up with this general project plan. Well, it's exciting to see that things are happening and that things are moving forward because we know how long sometimes things are talked about. So to see it unfolding is really terrific. Talk a little bit about any new businesses um, in the area, whether it's retail or new office tenants that have made commitments, because I know that there's been some big ones, perhaps in the tech space. Maybe you can talk a little bit about any new businesses that are coming into the area. I hope we had something to do with this, Josh. They, all of a sudden, as uh, Steve Roth, the CEO of Vornado says, Midtown tilted to the south and to the west. So where you might've thought that the Fang companies, uh, I always have trouble reproducing exactly who those are, Facebook, Apple, Google, Netflix, et cetera, FAA, and there's a few others. You might've thought they were headed for Lower Manhattan or Flatiron or maybe even the Plaza District. Uh, they instead are headed for us. It's about eight or nine million square feet 
of new tendencies of those players. One of the most exciting is Facebook going into the Tornado-owned space that's above Moynihan Station, mm. 700,000 square feet. They're actually in already, or a number of the employees. Wow. And um, a huge acquisition by another tech company. I'm forgetting whether it's Apple or Facebook that's in to the west at a, on a 10th Avenue building. This is before you even get to Hudson Yards. Mm-hmm. Facebook leased a ton of space. We have LinkedIn at the Empire State Building and a lot of space. So there's another tech company. So that is the surprise turnaround mm. that's making our real estate owners very happy. It's going to lead to a lot of shopping. As you say, they're, yes. they're new retailers. As rents came down because of the pandemic and the decline in the retail world, it's also led to interesting forms of retail, including Amazon, one of the fang companies, opening stores, physical stores in our district that are quite interesting, including a bookstore. It was good news because the news of Facebook making that huge commitment really was, I don't know if it was the height of the pandemic, but certainly was a time when people were in hibernation. And I think it was a nice signal that New York City is never going to die. And I think that, you know, for me, I'm a big believer that when somebody plants a flag in the ground, other people invest around it. Yep. So it was, you know, great news, whether people love tech companies or not, it's going to have people in the community. And, and that leads to, you know, like you were saying, the benefit to local retailers and small business around it. Yep. Really we're, very, we're very excited about the direction of both the office and also residential, but surprisingly, the retail is, has stood up quite well. So we're, we're chatting. It happens to be primary day in, in New York City as we talk today. And uh, most likely, it'll dictate who the next mayor will be. Many of the, the local city council members will be will be new. I don't know how long it's going to take with ranked choice voting to figure out who the new mayor will be. But what would you say for city government, particularly in your area, that needs to be addressed? What's the top priority for you in terms of the mayor and the city council in terms of what they need to be aware of in your district? Really two things. The top priority, and I think the candidates who've been speaking this way have risen to the top, is uh, street order and violence. Clearly, things have gotten away after probably 20 years of improvement, 23 years. We've gone back in the other direction. I'm a great believer in the work that Bill Bratton and Ray Kelly did as commissioners. Mm -hmm. They were terrific. I think uh, Commissioner Shea has started to move in that direction in, in, in an unfavorable political environment and kind of fighting uh, the DAs who have not been good in the view of the business community. So uh, we need to move back to broken windows philosophy, which is what got us here. The uh, removal from the streets of hardened criminals that was produced by arresting people who were jumping turnstiles and committing repeated middling crimes, which led to more major crimes. That's been abandoned for political reasons. I, I suspect today's results are going to uh, show that the, the couple of candidates on the mayor's race who are talking the way that I'm talking are going to do better because there's a lot of bad stuff going on, particularly in Brooklyn and Queens. But the Manhattan crime rates, even south of 59th Street, have been going the wrong direction. And um, we've had a, a hell of a time keeping the lid on at 34th Street, which had an added problem of homeless shelters being moved from other boroughs into hotels in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And then Bryant Park, it was, uh, we were very worried after 30 years of great fun there. 
we were worried it was going to be very hard to maintain. So we did a lot of things that were clever aimed at keeping people coming so the park wouldn't be abandoned the way it was back in the 80s. Well, you know, it's a common theme, you know, people whose ears are to the ground, who, you know, in charge of, of really improving communities. The basic foundation is quality of life, right? I mean, it's basic things. People want to feel safe. You know, the, the noise, the graffiti, other issues cause other problems. So, you know, I think it's certainly I'm in agreement that the main issue has to be that people feel safe and, and that there's quality of life in, in a neighborhood for it to prosper. Yeah, I've been surprised. I have 20 millennials working for me at Bryant and 34th in the management uh, core. And they have, if you listen to their rhetoric, they have moved considerably in the direction of Bill Bratt and, and Broken Windows thinking. There were a number of contributors to that. The fireworks, which nobody talks about much, but last May and June, just mm-hmm. tremendous number of fireworks keeping people up till four or five in the morning that bothered them and then uh, many of the females feel less safe in the city than they did before so i'm constantly telling them to be careful because there are people getting slugged with no provocation out on the streets we need to move back to how safe the streets were there was a period in the 90s and o's where if somebody said to me am i safe walking around midtown manhattan i would say not only are you safe, but if you had a 76-year-old mother who was going to walk around and, and you, you asked me, is she safe? I would say she's safe, but I wouldn't say that anymore. You know, I think there's a couple of contributing factors in there. Maybe one and the same is if you're not old enough to understand that Times Square was a dangerous place or if you don't have children, because you know when you're holding the hand of your child walking through a neighborhood, you never want to feel unsafe. Because worrying for your child is much more than worrying for yourself. So I think that those are two issues that, you know, people have to comprehend before they can uh, fully appreciate having a strong police presence. (laughs) Um, Talk a little bit about food cart, because I know that that's been a big issue for some of the other partnerships that I've talked about, because obviously, you know, you're supported through landlords, people pay a lot of money in rent, yet you want to support small business. What, What is the balance in your district? The, the, it's not a well-run program, and I, the city has gradually come to realize that. So what we've done, at, starting at Bryant, is got to know the food cart operators and told them our problems with the way they operated, which were several. Uh, the appearance of the carts, the location of the carts, sometimes right in the crosswalk, too many carts. Uh, too much smoke, not good for the environment. Obviously, financially, it's not a good deal for the city of New York because there's a black market in these permits. So we have actually acquired the, not ourselves, but through a relationship with one of the vendors who, from the Middle East and coordinates with other people he knows from the Egyptian community, which have a lot of the Midtown carts. We have started improving the look of the carts all around Bryant. Uh, there are six and pick locations that are right. And through this guy, we're getting to know some of the 34th Street cart owners. There are too many down there also in the wrong locations, many of them not attractive, too much smoke, too much noise. They play concerts through boom boxes and the like. And I keep telling my owners who are impatient with it, give us a chance to get to know these owners. It's better to work with them than uh, fight them because they're quite resourceful 
And the city has backed off a lot of the enforcement on the food cart issue over time. So, uh, and it's been taken away from the police department to an extent. And that's also happened with merchandise vending. So that's what you're hearing from places like Jackson Heights and 86th Street, uh, unhappiness with how the city has kind of backed off this issue. Well, on a positive note, I'm excited to hear that you're bringing back your movie nights. What can people expect uh, going through the summer at Bryant Park and the surrounding area? What else do you guys have planned that may be coming back to life that you could share? Thank you, Josh. We've, we've been very uh, aggressive bringing things back, just like bringing people back to our office. We also said we're going to a normal 2021 summer. 2020 wasn't normal because you weren't allowed to gather people. So we started with uh, 10 days ago concerts with the New York Philharmonic, which is amazing. I couldn't perform in their hall. We never had the New York Philharmonic. It was absolutely fabulous. Four free nights of concerts. Unfortunately, we were still stuck in this regulation where 2000 was the maximum crowd size we could have, which we thought was crazy because the Knicks had 15,000 for a playoff game. And the, Mets, <laughs> the Mets are having 15 or 20,000 a night, but we were stuck at 2000. There probably was demand for more like 5,000 seat for concert, which is much bigger than you could put in Geffen Hall. And that was the kickoff of what we call Bryant Park Picnics, which is a series of great cultural presentations with Carnegie Hall, New York City Opera, Chinese Cultural Center. And that will continue almost every night from now through September. And then, as you say, the movie nights, which used to be from June to late August, 10 of them we couldn't do last year. This year we are doing, we found a sponsor uh, who I can't disclose yet. And uh, used to be HBO and then it was Netflix. And that will start late. And the only good thing about starting late is, uh, first of all, it's not as hot. That's good too. But second, the sun goes down earlier. So it's more of a family event when you can start the movies at about 7.15, which is when we'll start them in late August and September. We've never run into September, but the weather's perfect. Yeah. And we don't put the ice rink and market in until October. So this will be, uh, I suspect the crowds will be huge for this. And it looks like we'll have no uh, cap on the attendance uh, because COVID's going away rapidly. Fingers crossed, Dan. Well, Dan, you know, you provide a great roadmap and success story for a lot of people to follow. And I personally thank you for everything you've done to make really the core of Manhattan, such a great community. Thank you very much uh, for those kind words. And thank you for all you've done to publicize our stuff over the years. Well, it's our pleasure. When you have breaking news, we're here for you. Even if it's not breaking, we love good stories and, and features on people. So please keep us in mind. And, and for everyone listening, make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. 